Hello and welcome to Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides and with me is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing good, Jody. How are you? I'm alive. Awesome. It's better That's than being six be. feet under, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to go. Being like alive it. is pretty good. Yeah. Um, awesome. How's your week been? Well, adventurous. I finally upgraded to Catalina, and it's yeah, been you brave soul. You. It's been an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, it's it's time to be done. Everything pretty much that I use is Catalina compatible, except for a couple of things. That's good. Those couple of things don't really relate to what we're talking about, so we'll stop there. There you go. Sounds good. Yeah, I always uh, been doing a little bit of head scratching where people tend to you see people on, on forums and things, and they go, oh, yeah, um, I updated to insert whatever thing here, and they go, and now my – System doesn't work, and I have to deliver a mix for a client today. I'm like, why, why are you, are you updating? updating? Now? <laughs> yeah, you're in the middle of a project. Don't do that. Yeah, dumb idea. Yeah. yeah. Note to uh, all inside the recording studio listeners: do not upgrade a major OS upgrade in the middle of projects. I was un- I was fortunately not in the middle of projects, so I could do it. And I'd spent extensive time researching, making sure everything I had, or almost everything I had, was compatible. Yeah. At least on the recording yeah. side, everything is. So I'm good there. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, even if it's um, an instrument or anything like that, any plugin that you use, don't upgrade if you're in the middle of something. Yeah, it's just asking for trouble. So bad idea. That's the, uh, that's the intro tip of the day. <laughs> <laughs> intro tip. There you go. Just the tip. Um, today we're talking workflow, workflow. for mixing. Ex- Yeehaw! Woo! Yeah, and jazz almost fingers. more specifically, yeah, jazz hands. <laughs> um, yeah, visual jokes. So, That's yeah. right. It's yeah, on the video. If you don't have trust it on me, the me that was hilarious. <laughs> um, but we're talking how we might start prepare to mix. Uh, not necessarily the nitty gritty of um, of how mixing in and of itself, yeah. Right, we, we'll probably do that a little bit more in the well individual episodes. episodes when we talk about certain things. Yeah, um, but so let's say in this, we'll do a case study here. I suppose we'll, we'll we. you have been given, or let's say that you've actually been the engineer producer on this project, and okay. you've recorded an artist. Um, and um, it's now time to mix. Step one for Jody Whitesides. What do you do? Are we? We're not done. We're done tracking. Is what you're saying? It's time to mix. Yeah, we're done tracking. It's time to start mixing. Time to mix. What do you do? Well, being that I work from templates for tracking, all of my stuff is already color coded as it's already been tracked, which is nice. Yeah. But let, let, let's come back to the color coding a little bit. But what do you okay. do before? Make sure that every channel strip is appropriately titled. In my DAW. That's the so, very first thing I do. I go through and look at every single channel strip, know what's on it, and I label it appropriately first yeah. from the tracking you, template. Right. But, but you do that even when you're tracking, don't you? So yeah, like you're but not it's a good idea to double check it before you're going to go to the next step. Absolutely. But, but I don't think we mentioned that during any of the tracking episodes. No, we didn't. But, 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 but we're mentioning we should, it now. Right. But we should. <laughs> it's, you know... Um, 
it's nothing worse than, than seeing something and you get like, okay, audio one, audio two, audio three. Instrument 10. <laughs> right. Or, or what, <laughs> what is yeah. this thing? <laughs> right. And especially if you're hunting for something. Uh, no, don't so, hunt. It's bad. Bad yeah. for the body. So, um, okay. So you're naming and you're, you're thinking this for just so that when you're exporting your tracks, moving them into your mixed template. That is you correct. You want to make sure everything is titled accordingly. Yes. Right. So, so, and the other thing I tend to do, like if it's drums, every drum gets the precursor of drum. Okay. And then drum kick, drum snare, drum hi-hat, drum shaker, drum whatever. Any, anything that's related to drums gets the precursor of drums in the title. Right. Same thing with guitars. All the guitars get guitar and then the title of what it is, if it's electric and some particular sound or if it's acoustic and whether it's the mic or the director or what have you. Uh, all those get precursors of the actual groupings that they are. So if it's drums, there's guitars, there's synths, there's vocals and whatever else you'd like to precursor a group of things with. That's the first thing I double check on all my channel strips. And you do that just so that you can keep things a little bit neatly organized in the finder on your drive yes. type of thing? Well, it's not only for the finder, but it's also for when I import it into the mix template. It's automatically named, and I don't have to worry about it at that point. And then I can just group right. everything according to their group names and then slowly you know, rearrange them in the arrange page if I have to. Yeah. So I think that that would probably be a little bit dependent on, on which DAW you're using, where I know Logic imports the names if you just drag in a file, that kind of thing. But yeah. anyway, the, the bottom line here is, is to uh, be keep organized. organized. Yes. Yeah, keep organization. Organized. Very nice there. Uh, right. And, okay. and that doesn't mean they have to write an essay in every you know track name, right? But, but if oh, you, but uh, I do. Track uh, but you notes. do in your notes. <laughs> yes. but, but that's a different story. But <laughs> yeah. I'm saying in the track name, it doesn't have to be, oh, this is – Guitar, lead guitar, uh, Marshall amp with uh, the melody line on oh, top. Oh, no, that's not Just, the title. That's in the notes. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, all in the notes. Right. Definitely notes. Uh, yeah, definitely, right. definitely, definitely. And definitely it helps notes. with everything, yeah. So yeah, now you definitely. got your um, – but even before you start importing into your – or maybe you do that as your – you've imported into your mixed template. And that is? Uh, uh, well, I was going to ask you about what's your process for – going through and, and, you know, fixing tracks, cleaning up like little breaths in vocals, or it might be, well, hunting down issues, anything hunting that can be there. Issues, yeah. Whether it's timing correction or, or... All that's done in the tracking template, yes. So prior to exporting tracks to the mix template, after everything's appropriately named, go through with making sure that each individual track is clean of extraneous noise that does not belong Right. So that could include using things like Isotope's RX plugin platform for removing on vocals, uh, mouth noises, um, breaths, if they're overly loud kind of thing and they don't necessarily need to be. Um, spectral denoise, if the background of a track is particularly noisy because it wasn't recorded in a great environment. Mm -hmm. um, spectral denoise is a great plugin to be able to remove the background noise while retaining all of the musical character of what's going on. Yeah. So that's a good thing to run if it's overly noisy. Uh, just looking for clicks and pops and other things that don't belong and making sure that they are duly taken care of before they are sent to the mix phase. Right. So anything, if there's any comping and edits or anything oh, yeah. like that, all that's all done all before that. Vocals yeah. if it's needed, all timing corrections are all done in before. 
the, that's kind of like the last phase before you start exporting tracks for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming it's the same for you. Yeah. It's, it, it's very similar. I have to, um, I'm sometimes I'm, I'm quite bad at that if it's my own stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's so, mine. Not, it's already perfect. Why do I need to do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't mean in that way. I mean, in the sense that, um, I have to try to stay disciplined and it depends a little bit on what it is I'm doing, actually, uh, what, I'm, what I'm composing for, writing for. But um, if it's more of, let's say it's not production music, it's not anything like that. Um, it, it's You mean artistic it, stuff? <laughs> artistic stuff. Then, then I would very much try to adhere to that. I try to stay disciplined and make sure – because it's – it's not just for – you and I have talked about this before. It's not just for having a clean template to start mixing with with less issues and you can go out of that. But it's also a little bit for backup purposes. Yes, very where you much now so. Have, you have all the clean files essentially right there for you and you don't have to worry about – If a plug-in manufacturer go, stops making that plug-in. The, yeah, exactly. Um, that has happened a Multiple lot. Multiple times. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, that synth doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I wonder what that sounded like. <laughs> yeah. um, that does happen. But but the reason I, I, I say this, I try to be better about it. But when I do sometimes like library work, um, the turnaround tends to be a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just simpler to kind of mix in in the same project and, and sure. it works quite fine. But but the process is, is very much similar. I just won't export into a, a mixed template, yeah. Mixed template, yeah. yeah. Um, and just well, just to note, in, in terms of library stuff, I'm the same way. I yeah. will mix in the template that I've built for library productions just because right. it's an ease of use thing. So Yeah. And, and you've and seen you that, that template. It's kind of crazy. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, if you, Saves uh, a you, ton of time. Yeah, it's, it's – uh, yeah, world championship in, in bus routing. So, um, but it, that, it, it's if there's cool. an award, I might win it. <laughs> oh, you'd be up for it. That's that's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Enough buses to make Michael Brower blush, right? Mm, um, that would be fun, right? And if you um, don't know who Michael Brower is, Google him. Up. Yeah, amazing person. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on as we're talking about this prepping for track or mm. prepping tracks for mixing. Yes. And this is something that that can be a little bit touchy when you're working with uh, other clients. Mm -hmm. So now let's say that you're getting a a project to mix from somebody and there are a lot of issues with the track. Let's say that they're they're poorly edited, there's there's noises, there's all this kind of thing. what is your process for that? I mean, this is a little bit more of a business type of issue, but communication. Do you? I'm sorry. Communication. Yeah, but I would then go to the client and say, "Look, um, I can fix all these issues for you, but that's Within not reason. part of the, right." Well, yeah, but um, to the best of my ability, but that's not part of the other budget that I gave you to mix the track, right? That's well. That's that's all part of communication, and that's not something that I would wait to bring up until I heard something. It's something that I would mention prior to hearing the audio. 
Very good. That yeah, way that if it's you... like brought up and they get the audio, they've already heard the fact that if like, hey, if the audio is in this quality or condition, more money is either needed or you might need to find somebody else if you can't afford it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Because I yeah, will turn be... during, I, I'll, I'll turn down that kind of work if they're not willing to pay for it because it's not worth my time. Sure. Yeah, because if you – they say, no, it's fine, and, and the product comes out and it's got your name on it and it sounds like garbage with all this kind of stuff, it, it reflects poorly on you as well. Yes, Now, it ultimately, it's not your project. It's the artist's project. However – Your name is attached um, and you're riding right. that carpet. Right. So um, that's something that I tend to speak to people beforehand. Yes. Like e- even if I get – before I get the audio. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, no, this is Got to mention This it. is my price. This is what I charge per mix. Um, if I need to spend time, you know, fixing, tuning vocals, time correcting drums, whatever it is, there will be this charge attached Extra to it. Extra cost. That's right. Takes yeah. time. So time is so money. Th- right. And, um, but, but it's, I think you, um, you make the client think a little bit more about that kind of thing. Just the quality of the tracking and it, also, Managing expectations. Yes. That's a, so a it, big thing in workflow if you're working for other clients. You have to manage expectations. Right. There's only yeah, so, so much magic you can work. I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so th- that's something important to bring up because it, it, it can be – to do it well, I mean, there's a lot of great tools. Like you mentioned like RX and there's Melodyne that we talked about in the past or – Yeah, uh, all or the, Vocaline the time. or all kinds of things, yeah. Yeah, but it still requires you to – Know the tool be able and to, be able to use know, it. Right. Um, and um, it is time-consuming. It and, is. Uh, it, and it can be frustrating. It's not like everybody's, you know, great at doing this kind of stuff, right? It, so – but but – and it it's isn't. not like the software when run in automatic mode does a perfect job either. Yes. <laughs> that's something yeah. that's heavily needed to be mentioned in the process of getting ready for mixing stuff and you're trying to fix up tracks. Oftentimes people just will, oh, I'll just do it with the automatic button or whatever it is that they use. And then it's like they do everything and it comes out still with artifacts and weird crazy sounds in there because you weren't using your ears. To help yeah. fix whatever it is you're trying to fix. And things can be fixed within reason, but at the same time, you need to use your ears to make sure it's doing a good job. Yeah. And also on that note, using your ear, when let's say that you're time correcting stuff, uh-huh. uh, it's very, very easy to, to start listening with your eyes. And you're just looking at the grid and like, oh, that's a little bit early, but does it sound early or late? So use your ear and, and, and don't necessarily think that everything has to, to line up exactly properly if it sounds right. Uh, it's not a visual thing. It's, that's a, right. it's an audio Use thing, your right? ears. Hand-eye coordination. Yeah. Hand-ear coordination. Something like that. Or ear-eye yeah. coordination. Ear first. Hearing. Hearing, yes. <laughs> Take care of your ears. That's right. Um, so, okay, so now we got clean tracks. And they're, they're ready, ready to, to go. mix. They're imported into... Well, they haven't quite been imported because they haven't been exported yet, right? Because we talk about going from template to template. At least that's yeah. the thing that we're kind of going with a workflow thing outside of production music here. Um there's a step that happens before you're ready to import into a mix template, and that is you have to export those tracks. Sure. Well, you don't have to. I mean, it's a good idea to do it. 
Uh, I do individual tracks for everything that's going out, whether it's a mono track or a stereo track that starts mm-hmm. from the zero point of the template right, and goes to the end same of the bar. track. Same yeah. bar. So everything's all lined up from the beginning of the bar, not from where it was technically recorded. Yeah, so, so guitar comes in on the second verse, but yeah, but you're going to bounce that from, from downbeat zero to one. Or one. Yeah, yeah. downbeat to one. Yeah. That way, all your tracks line up. And that is a good tip for future proofing, future, future proofing, future proofing. Say That's that 10 times say. fast, right? Yeah. Um, so that if you go into another DAW, you can just bring all the tracks in and not have to worry about them not lining up. Or if the DAW that you use is suddenly new version doesn't import old versions or you don't have the old version anymore, you won't know where things are placed in time and you'd be troubled and confused and upset and angry that you didn't start everything from one for your mix stuff Yeah, to make your mixing I've, easier. I've gotten files like that. That's always fun. When, no. when is this? No, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's horrible. Not no, um, there's there's but, never but an instance where it's fun. a foolproof way of... Um, you know, if you're switching between DAWs. Yeah. Let's say that, no, I'm not going to mix this project. I'm just tracking it and somebody else is using uh, Pro Tools or Cubase or whatever happens to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing works there, right? Um, What's your process then? Let's say that um, during the tracking phase and um, there's been a certain kind of reverb on a guitar or a synth or something like that. Do you tend to print that or do you do the route where you go, if it's a part of the sound or you're going, um, it needs to have this delay on it. Let's say that you're doing like a U2 type of a thing. Do you generally print just with the effects as a stereo track or do you do one dry and one with? That's a good question. The answer that I would give is it is dependent upon the part and how integral it is or needed to be before the mix phase. Because if you don't have it wet prior to the mix, you can do a lot more with it in the mix. If it's, so you're saying it's program dependent? It's program dependent. Cheers. That's right. Cheers, everyone. Take your shot. <laughs> um, right. So in other words, if it's... Um, I think that's a pretty good example. Let's say that it's um, a YouTube kind of part where where there's delay parts on the guitar that that are definitely going to be there. Yes. Um, I would definitely print those. But one thing to keep in mind is that perhaps um, levels might need to change. So it's always a good good practice to have, almost like we talked about tracking a DI on the bass and all this kind of stuff, having it dry. Having the uh, clean original version that is unaffected is a good way to get into a mix that may need help in the mix phase, whether it's an EQ thing or a level thing between the original and the delayed signal. It's a lot easier to control it when you have the original and or the effect rather than the original and the effect at the same time that you can't modify afterwards. In my, that's just my... No, I agree. Preference. I agree. And um, that goes a little bit against also the, the philosophy that, that we talked about before where which is like, commit to the sound. Well, you and, commit and to the sound, but you can transfer it from the tracking to the mixing. Yeah. No, I agree. I uh, And hopefully nine times out of ten, you end up using just that wet file and you'll be fine. But in those yep. cases where you're like, oh, man, that's a little too wet or 
it's difficult to dial that back. So you wish you had the the um, the dry signal. Yes. Um, so that's the exporting, and the same thing obviously well, it's with not, uh, vocals. It's not the entire right. thing. Um, so with exporting, there one of the things that I do, knowing whether I've import or if I tracked it or whatever, I'll have the notes of like my exporting chops of what I do. So there's going to be a step of treating it like it's going through a console before it goes to the mix phase. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? I might have yeah. tracked it that way, yeah. but I might also send it to the mix again. So it's dependent on how it was tracked. If I know that it didn't have a little bit of compression and a little bit of maybe massageable EQ in there, and maybe I want to get a particular sound of a board, whether it's an SSL, because we're talking digital representations of these things at this point, rather than yeah. the going from one studio to another. It's almost like you're going from one studio to another if you change the type of board that you're sending it through. So in a hardware world or prior to the digital revolution, if you tracked in one studio, that studio might have an API board. Then if you go and mix in another studio, it might have an SSL board. So I treat that functionality between the two. I think, okay, if I tracked in this one, what do I want to send it to the mix sounding like? So I actually will run my exports of my individual tracks through a, a pre-mix phase of maybe I add a little compression or a little bit of EQ, and then I add you know maybe a board emulation at the end of that so that it sounds like it went through that board as I was going to the mix. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. yeah. So no, I'm I- adding the stage of like what it would be like if I was using that gear in real life rather than just staying a hundred percent pristine digital, so to speak. From yeah. To you're, you're, yeah. When you're bouncing the track or exporting that track, you're adding the emulation on top of it just as yes. you would. So that, yeah. Um, yeah. And just as you would with, um, let's say that you've had, uh, guitar amp simulations, you would print that simulation. So you're not getting right. just the, the straight DI. You're getting, no, this is the sound that we're committed to. This is the to. sound that I'm committing to as I'm going to the mix. Yes, that is yeah. the process right after the naming and the cleaning and all that kind of stuff. It's the, I'm now exporting my tracks with the sounds that are going to my mix template. Right. As I yeah. bounce each track. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Anything else that I wanted to add to that? No, I think that's, I mean, no, I think I, I, I would just echo. A loss for words. So unlike well, you. <laughs> I, um, well, I was just trying to think if there was another step or anything to, to think about there. But I think you kind of covered that where um, you're committing to the sound, but you're giving yourself options at the mix stage as well. Yes. Um, but, but things like console emulation and... Uh, Possibly tape emulation. Would you add at that stage as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So So all of that kind of stuff. All that happens at that stage. Right. Um, Okay. And tape tape is always the last one. Yeah. Yeah. You don't experiment with that type of thing and just uh, see. 
Well, I suppose I have, but I've learned that tape is the last step. It's 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 the same thing in a real life You're thinking, situation. Yeah, well, it would be in reality. In right. reality, tape is yeah. always the last step. So it's you're tracking to the tape after you've already done compression and EQ and whatever other things, and you're going into the board, and then it's relating from the board in that regard. So when it comes back, it's coming from tape. So yeah, it's it's just the last thing that ends up going to the bounced out audio. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that's uh yeah. That that that's similar to to what I do as well. Um so now Oh, and the other Joe, thing to probably mention is gain staging is important along that whole line. Oh yes. Yeah. So and uh, right. Yeah. This is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Uh oh, here least, comes pets. Uh, well and no peeves. just the way I understand <laughs> it. I or or the way I, I wrap my head around it. Um there there's a lot of talk about gain staging. Yes. Um, you know, and I think... It floats everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think the thing is to what it means to me, it, I, I could care less where whatever software I have that goes like, oh, it's an emulation of an old LA-2A. It's supposed to receive this kind of signal, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But I think gain staging is just to make sure that you have a similar type of volume on on the input of each track and not necessarily that it's going to sit there in the mix but if you have everything in by in sort of like the rough similar area where, where you kind of have an average uh level um at a comfortable level i suppose <laughs> um it makes it so much easier to mix where if you have like, well, here's one guitar and that's that's peaking at minus six. And then you have another guitar that's peaking at minus 20. Yeah, it's like, that's problematic. Right. So it just makes your job a lot trickier to do that kind of thing. So sure. so that that's what gain staging means to me, to have everything at a sort of like an average level uh, going out. And you don't have to – this is one – I'd probably gone a little bit these days, but – Certainly in the beginning of digital, there would be a lot of sort of like uh, mental hangovers from tracking the tape and, and analog consoles <laughs> where you have to keep everything just up until it clips type of thing. Like you you got to have that super but, – but that's not true anymore. Right. Yeah. So it's almost the opposite because you've got so much headroom now and the signal-to-noise ratio is, is – Insane. You know, yeah. So keep your – input levels and your output levels at um even though there's a lot more headroom going on in DAWs these days. But but that's not the point here. Uh but you, you what keep is them, the point? You, is <laughs> that you don't have you don't have to track and going into where you're tickling in the red. Tickling in you, the red. Yeah, you certainly yeah. don't want to clip um on the input stage because it's mm. it's it's nasty sounding. That's right. Input Distortion can be nasty, can be real. Yeah. Well, in digital forms, it can be real nasty. Yeah. In analogs, it's kind of Well, then it's just distortion, right? That's like, yeah, distortion it's nice and, and creamy. Some love it. As, so. as, yeah. The, yeah. I guess that the, the code word for that is vibe. And right? it also, the reality comes down to, if it sounds good, it is good, right? Sure. So. Yeah. But digital clipping rarely sounds good. Yeah. Digital clipping uh, rarely. It's mostly yeah. assy. Yeah, so th those are my thoughts on like gain staging. Did, do you want to add anything to that or do you? Uh, the thing I think I would add is this, is that if you're using emu vintage 
emulation type softwares, there is a point of like how much level you feed something before it hits a sweet spot. If Or if you go below that, then it's not quite getting to the sweet spot. And if you go above that in terms of volume levels where you're hitting uh, the plug-in, it can create odd distortions beyond the sweet spot. Uh, I had somebody come to me and say, oh, I've been using this tape emulation and I can't get it to sound good. And I said, well, what kind of volumes are you running into it and how are you dealing with it? Ah, oh, you know, I just don't. And knowing that he was pressing the volume because he's wanting his mix to sound really loud, it's like, well, that's not the trick to getting the mix to sounding loud. And because you've never worked with tape, uh, you don't understand the concept of how tape works, I'm guessing, because you can saturate it but at a certain point if you're pushing the plug in too hard you're going to get noise and that's not the noise that you want at least that's as as it was being described to me so i started mentioning gain staging it's like you have to make sure that the volume coming into a plug-in is probably equal to what's going out and not being too much or too little in the middle of what that plugin's doing right no if, I, I unless you're really trying to experiment in the great beyond of whatever sure but but from my perspective i i agree with that i agree with what you're saying that there's a certain point where it, it sounds good and there's a certain point where it's sounds awful you're not getting the desired <laughs> result yeah. but um my point being that it to me it's it's less about how the original piece of gear would react sure um, and more getting the desired result. And, and like you said, too, it's very easy to get fooled by things like compression where, oh, it sounds so much better. But in reality, it's just louder. Yeah. You know, so it, it's um, – and those are, are really important things to kind of keep track of. But again, it comes back down to listening to what you what it is that you want, right? And yep. um, if you're – yeah, I'm sending – you know, minus six into this thing and it's spinning out, you know, minus 12, you know, it's like, well, what happened to myself? Well, maybe you're, there's something going on there that that's not, you know, right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just keeping track of that. But but I like the idea of when you're tracking and, and certainly when you're, you're bouncing out things to, to, uh, into your mix template to um, have it, Fairly steady um, volume on each track coming out, or level on each track, where you have something that's manageable to start with. Sure, yeah. If you got like if if you were sent a project where all of the track stems or track bounces were all at say zero, <laughs> it might make mixing a little bit tough. Yeah, <laughs> unmanageable. They might say. Yeah. Um, whereas. I attend, my own personal preference is to attempt to track most things peaking around minus 18, minus 15 max, period, Yeah, for everything. Well, drums yeah. are a little bit different. They usually tend to peak a little bit further beyond that. But generally speaking, minus 18 to minus 15 dB, and that makes the mix go so much easier, so yeah. much yep. easier. Yeah, I tend to go a little bit hotter than that, but, but not um... – a whole lot. I, I might, let's say I would go minus 12 to minus 8, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all, you know, what, what you get used to doing here and keeping your level. But 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 that you keep that sort of thing, that, that sort of mindset across the board, I think, is, yes. is a, yes, yes, yes. a, a good place to start. 
Pick your level and stick to it. Just don't make it zero and red. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bumper that's stick, the, right? Don't make the, it zero or red. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So everything is bounced out. Mono where it needs to be. Stereo where it needs to be. Um, time to import and start organizing your session. Yes. So um, this is something that... Um, helped me a whole lot and I think you as well. Okay. And that's that? and that is color coding and grouping your tracks. Yes. Yes, color coding. Yeah. Love big it. Big fan. And um Giant it makes fan. it sound so much better. Yes. It, no, it, um, it improves the sound quality by at least ten percent. <laughs> right. And and that's not in my mind at all. No. No, uh in all seriousness, it uh it just keeps you um focused. Right. And you see exactly what's going on in your session. So, you know, you have a certain, you know, color for drums, which for me is yellow. Yeah. We um, both use the same color coding scheme, don't we? For the pretty most part. much. Yeah. For the most part, I think. Yeah. Um, but but the idea isn't that you have to use a certain color, obviously, but but it's just but pick one and stick to it because it now you go back to every uh, project and you can quickly see where things are. And I also like to keep things in the same order uh, in my arrange page, mm-hmm. where for me, I keep drums on top. Yep. Uh, bass, which right is next brown. To below the drums, yeah. Yeah. If it's a vertical the, arrangement, yeah. Right. Unless there's percussion elements, which are a slighter, lighter hue of yellow, mm. but th- they would be below the drums. I would have the bass afterwards, which for me is brown. Uh, after that comes guitars, which are yep. blue. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, acoustic guitars would be on top of that if there are any. I'll do those again at a slightly different blue. Um, then keyboards, which are green, mm-hmm. and I would even separate. Depends on this is a little bit different if I'm doing uh, more library stuff as well. If there's melodic elements to that, I will have those in a different color as well, right. just so I can kind of keep those, those keep separate. Them, yeah, yeah. Um, vocals after that. Um, backing vocals after that uh, if I have any again this is a little bit more for you didn't for mention tra- what color you're doing those vocals in red red obviously yes um, the fire red, of the song and I do a slightly different hue again for background vocals mm-hmm. and it just makes everything so much easier because if I always have that same order um, I, it, it's a lot easier to navigate the mix yes and, and keep everything there I concur um, yeah, and um, then if I'm not going to disagree stuff. with any of that. Same colorings, same arrangement from top to bottom in terms right. of organization. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, yes. And yes. Yeah. And uh, you'll I want see, more of what you're having. <laughs> a little coffee. <laughs> I'll have a little rocket fuel here. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. Um, so yeah, it, it just makes and another thing that I do that has helped me as well when it comes to the mixing is all grouped tracks, whether it being drums, and I'll come back to drums, but let's say bass, uh, guitars, uh, vocals, all that kind of thing, will be sent to their own bus. Yep. So there will be a drum bus, there will be a a bass bus, even if it's only one track. Yeah, I still even like if to it's do one, that. still gets its own little bus. Yeah, uh, guitars, vocals, backing vocals. Diva. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um 
again, because it, it just makes it a little bit easier. And there are things that where if I have in the mix and I'm, you know, let's say I'm doing something for a client, there's a bunch of automation going on on the the vocal track, let's say. Not entirely unheard of, right? Hmm. Um, but then I go, okay, well, I need to bring it down 2 dB. Instead of changing all the notes, I would just go on the bus and bring it down and, and that kind of thing. Yep, makes and, it simple that way. Yeah, and sometimes that you and I have done as well with the additional routing there would be to send all the instruments to a music bus and all the vocals to uh, a vocal bus. That's right. Your instruments do not ride with your vocals. Your vocals do not ride with your instruments. They are divas in and of themselves on both counts. Right. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, So Yeah, no, but but that's not even a sometimes thing. That's an all-the-time thing. That's that's a separation that happens all the time in every mix. For me. Yeah. For you, yeah, I, I do it most of the time. Depends a little bit on what I'm doing, obviously, but or who I'm mixing for. But but it makes it so much easier when you, let's say that the client want. Well, we want. Can I have an instrumental mix of this as well? Yeah, real boom. simple. Just hit yeah. mute on the vocal bus. Mute and on the boom, vocal bus. You've got an go. instrumental mix. Yeah, as opposed to just muting the vocal and the background vocal bus. <laughs> the 35 but anyway, vocal tracks and everything right. else going on and all the effects yeah that becomes problematic so it, it's just um and i think um uh, both of us sort of arrived at that kind of method by encountering issues in the past where it's like everything is going to the master bus and and it's like, okay but now i have to do that and now the I have to remember to mute the guitar delay that's going to the master and blah, 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 all this kind of thing. So um, that's worked pretty well for both of us, I think. Um, Other people do different things, but but that's how we tend to do it. Yeah, it works really well for me. Yeah, and... um, Makes it easy to make all the alternate mixes that someone needs when it comes to licensing things. Or they just want to have a karaoke version of themselves. So you do a no lead vocal mix or a vocal up or a vocal down. Having that final bus allows you to make easy adjustments for all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um, so now and we will probably is... show like how we do that in a future episode. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. We'll talk about that, it. Right. That would be a good one. So um, – Everything is imported. Everything has been exported from the tracking template. We now have it hopefully color-coded. Everything is named what it's supposed to be, uh, color-coded, routed to their appropriate buses. Um, we're ready to start mixing. Yeah. Right? So we're ready now. Let's go. If it's not one of your tracks, which assumingly you'd be reasonably familiar with, mm-hmm. um, what, what's your first step? I mean, we're not going into the nitty gritty here, but uh, what's the what's the first thing that you might do? The, depending on the volume of the consistency, or as the staging that we're talking about, where it's hitting, I will adjust the input or the channel strip faders. Yeah. So that everything's at a uniform volume that I can hear, where it's not going to clip my output, kind of thing to start. Right. And yeah. just kind of get a sense of the song just of all the individual or all the tracks kind of together. And then at that point I go, okay, I make my little mental notes and then I mute everything but the drums and I start there. Then I add the bass. Yeah. 
Okay. So, but, but let's backtrack a little bit there because you said you keep everything at same level or the faders at a certain All level. All the faders at a certain level, yeah. And, and now it's really important that everything has been gain staged so that you can kind of hear everything in the way that they're the way that they're tracked. So that if something is tracked too low, if you have everything there, you're not going to hear everything. And then you have to start finding out where things are. So that's another thing where I think that gain staging helps when you just like you're getting into that and you kind of do that. So, okay. So you start with the drums. Yeah. Most of the time. Have that rhythmic foundation. foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Make sure those sound great. Then I bring in the bass and I mix in the level there and make sure it works in conjunction with the kick and things of that nature. After that, I probably will start, if there's guitars, I'll start adding the guitars and then whatever the main driving uh, rhythmic instruments and, you know, chordal instruments are. Just kind of add them as I go. And then I finish off with the vocals and really spend a lot of time on the vocals once I get there. Right. Um, but I, some people start it. The other thing too, is it kind of depends a little bit upon a program. So, or the song as to what I'm going to start with. If it's really a vocal oriented song, I'll start with the vocal and bring everything else in to support that. Yeah. yeah. Rock is more where I'm going to start. Rock and pop is where I'm starting more with, with the rhythmic elements and the drums and stuff and bringing thin, things in that way. But uh, yeah, as I'm doing it, just adding everything and making sure that the instruments aren't getting too out of hand before I get to the vocal, knowing that the vocal's coming in at a certain Yeah, point. as far as like level and frequency-wise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, that, that that pretty much is is how I do it most of the time as well. Um, just like you touched on, it depends on if it's a song where I kind of ask myself, well, what, what is it? What are the three things that are the most important thing in this song yeah and for you know drums is pretty much always going to be one of them right? if there Even are though, drums yeah if there are right then it's not but, but because that, that that tends to be the energy and that that's where the you know, a lot of stuff up um and more often than not it would also be the vocal right yeah uh, for sure the vocals are always like the the super important thing it, that's that's the connection to the audience, more or less, more often than not, is the yeah. vocalist or the vocal that's happening for the song, provided it has vocals. If it's instrumental, well, then that's a whole different thing. It's the instrument sure. that's the shining factor. Yeah. And then filling in the blanks there, what, well, what is it? Is it the bass that drives the song? Is it a guitar? Is it a keyboard thing? And have that, those, you know, making those decisions that these are going to be the stars of the, the track. Or and then. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think when it's a song that you're you're getting from a client that you may not be um, familiar with, mm-hmm. th- those first impressions are really important yeah. uh, when you listen to it the first time because that's when things can really get – you really get an honest um, overview of what, what it is. It's like, wow, that was really cool or – this is I, I really really like this. Let's enhance that as opposed to think. Mm, yeah, you know what that that notch filter on that keyboard sounds a little bit weird, and you get lost in the details <laughs> when you're too familiar with it. So yeah, uh, listening to that and just just having that that sort of like honest um, listening, I suppose, um, 
is valuable when you do that and trust that. So that's when you, before you start losing perspective on things, when you start tweaking. Um, and I think listening to things as well is before you start just diving into, oh, I'm just going to add compression and EQ on everything. Well, does it really need it? Yeah, that's the, that becomes your mixed taste kind of thing. Does it need it? Are you doing yeah. something that's actually enhancing the situation or are you taking away from the situation by adding things that don't necessarily need to be there? Yeah. Or are you just doing it because you are? Oh, because you can. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have but, this tool. I must use it. No, not necessarily. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a real thing. So um, like I said, th this purpose of th this particular episode is not necessarily to go, oh, you always have to do this and this and this and, and this is how I always EQ my kick or whatever. But um, that first impression, getting everything up, listening to what you have is uh, a great place to uh, to start when you mix in. Then you see if there are any issues that you might have to solve with frequency masking or anything like that. Yeah, it's that point of where you're listening and you're trying to channel what is the spirit of this song. Yeah. Where How do I make it enhance itself? Yeah. And uh, important here as well is if it's not our own stuff that we're mixing. Um, you have to know to, what the client wants in the yeah. spirit you, of their song. Yeah. I, I just had uh, something recently where uh, there, uh, on my part, there had been a little bit of miscommunication. Um, and... Uh, See, it comes back to that communication thing. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the the uh, the mixed notes I got back is uh, we're talking about toms here. And he said, I, "I want less Def Leppard and more Fleetwood Mac." <laughs> <laughs> so um, I thought that was brilliant. Okay, all right, awesome. Uh, but but that um, you need to have those conversations beforehand, or at least even if the well, client doesn't they necessarily come up, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Don't so take no, it personal. No, it's not not about me. It's it's about you know just me helping the serving artist the song. Want. Yeah, you are the song's servant when you are mixing, or yeah, or at least the clients. Uh, well, there's two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so th that that comes in with, with communication with the client, obviously, and you have to figure. Okay, well, what's the best way to do that? So if they're going, oh, I'm going for a let's say a, a throwback kind of indie strokes kind of vibe right okay well maybe dial back a little bit on the you know the big reverbs and the gated toms and all this kind of stuff because that, that's not the way to go with this track <laughs> um you know maybe go a little bit heavier on that that parallel distortion chain or whatever it happens to be sure um so as a last kind of thing here i guess do you have any particular sends and things already set up in your mix template that, that you tend to go to all the time, or do you go as need only? There is only one. And what is that? That is a parallel drum bus compression channel strip that feeds immediately into the music bus for the instrumentals or for the instruments bus. That's the only thing I have preset up. And the only reason why it's preset up is it's loaded with about eight different types of compressors. Uh, and the reason for doing that is, is I tend to almost like literally 98% of the time run my drums through the parallel drum bus compressor 
to mm -hmm. give a lot more weight to them when they're needed. And a lot of times they're really needed. Um, and, and then you, you choose which compressor feed that seems, in, right? yeah, so low, you know, kind of dial it in, feed it in and, and pick which compressor gives it the right vibe for the song in that regard. Aside from that, everything else is on a, oh, I need this now. Let's create one for it. Yeah. That's the only one that's really pre-created. Yeah. I find myself reaching for similar things uh, a lot of times. So up until now, I've basically been doing it the way that you said it, minus the, the parallel bus. I, I don't have one of those in my mm -hmm. template. Yeah. Um, but things that I tend to add um, a lot are I tend to have some kind of room reverb just to add a little bit of ambiance if it's there. Uh, I also tend to have a plate for vocals, mm -hmm. a plate reverb, and uh, some kind of verb for um, generally snare and toms to give a little bit of space. So in my updated mix template, I would more than likely add those. Um, right, right. But, but also things that, that um, <laughs> if there are lead guitars, that kind of thing, I would probably add a little bit more of a maybe a quarter note delay or something like that that can be there for, for some melodies and things. So, so I might have those ready to go as well. Um, but uh, one thing that we should probably bring up as well, if I had where I will bring up. Um, Do it. If Lift I it. have, let's say, okay, so I got a um, a vocal plate um, that I, that is just for vocals. I will not route the output of that to the main out. Well, I will route it no, to the vocal to the bus. Yeah, to the vocal bus. So you know that that's all packeted neatly in there, and I, and I tend to not share those things. The only thing I, I might share is um, if there's a room that I, that I that I tend to like to. Um, to use, but I use that very, very sparingly. It's just to kind of give a little bit of width to something that might be really, really dry, especially uh -huh. if it's, um, you know, um, a guitar track or something like that. Um, you can just a little bit of ambience in there. Um, so some, if you find that you're using the same type of, of reverb or, or delay or anything like that, anything special that you tend to do, like your your parallel drum bus, it's a good idea to have that in your mix template as well because it just saves you that workflow and you know what's there. Oh, that's always on send. Insert your favorite number here. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, so, um, and then we're off to happy mixing. Happy mixing. That's yeah. where we all want to be, happy mixing. Ideally, yes. Ideally. And uh, when you're mixing, just as an A-side to kind of maybe wrap this up a little bit, is I would recommend that don't be too precious with your mixes. If you find that you're mixing and you just can't get that sound that you want, don't be afraid to start over. Sometimes Scrap it. Yeah, just scrap it. Bring the faders down and just start over. And uh, <laughs> start all muting the things. Off. <laughs> all, all that kind of stuff. And it's amazing how, how you know. New perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I think for what our two minute Tuesday tip that will coincide with this particular episode, I suppose what we'll have is the color coding scheme. Sure. We'll have like a that visual be a representation so people can see that. Yeah. And then mm. in a future one, we'll have that bus routing you do for your library stuff. Oh, good. Blow Lord, everybody's yeah. mind. <laughs> where everybody's like, <laughs> their brains are going to start spilling out of their ears. Wait, it's going where? <laughs> and what? What? Why? Yeah. How? And uh, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, 
So there we go. Um, so that's how both of us kind of set up and get prepared to mix. Well, getting into the mix. Of, yes. Getting mix into the mix. mix. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, with that, I'm going to say see you later, Chris. See you later, Jody. Have a wonderful rest of the day. All right. Yes. And for everyone out there and inside the recording studio land, we will see you in the next episode. And thank you for listening. <laughs>